I have a very important question for you this morning. Are you ready? When the toilet paper runs out and you have to change the roll, do you ch does the toilet paper go over the top or down the back side? Back side. Back side? Oh no, over the top, right? The original ad. Yeah. How about this one? How many days in a row can you wear a pair of jeans before you have to wash them? Three. Three. No. Three. <laughs> one. Do you have to wa or do you have to make your bed every morning? Yes. 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 McDonald's or Whataburger? McDonald's. Some neither. Some say neither. Neither in the back. How about this one? Do you open up your Christmas presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning? Both. <laughs> Both. Uh, he usually starts in the middle of December. Middle of December, okay. We all have opinions on those things, right? And why do we have opinions? Because we're people. People have opinions. And that's good. That's who we were created to be. We're created to have preferences. We're created to have opinions. And I'm sure you even have opinions of what we do here at church. For instance, do we have the whole service projected on the screen or do we get rid of the screen? Do we ha get rid of the screen completely and just have everything in a worship folder? Do we get rid of the worship folder and just have everything on the screen? How about music? Speaking of Christmas, what song do we end our Christmas Eve service with? Does it have to be Silent Night? Some of you are shaking your heads yes. <laughs> uh, what about how we do music here? Should we continue doing the electronic music that we do or should we look to get live musicians? Should we sing hymns or should we sing contemporary songs? What about the Lord's Prayer? Should, should we continue doing the, the Lord's Prayer that we do or should we do uh, the Lord's pr Prayer with thys and nows and these? We all have opinions, right? We all have opinions. And that's okay. And that's good. And guess how God feels about it? He says it's okay that you have opinions. As long as it's not going against His opinion. You see, the, 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 the challenge that we have as people is that we all have opinions, we all have preferences. And so how do we, as a group of people, come together as one and be united when God doesn't have an opinion on certain things? We're in this series called United, and, and we've kind of gone from bigger picture to smaller picture, and now today we're even smaller. We started by looking at the Holy Christian Church. We started by looking at how uh, all Christians from all time, in all places, all denominations are part of the Holy Christian Church. Everyone who believes in Jesus as their Savior are united in the Holy Christian Church, and they are all going to heaven. Last week... We looked at how God wants churches to be united, but He wants them to be united around His Word. All of it, not just parts of it. Today, we look at how do we as a congregation preserve our unity? 
How do we not let there be divisions among us? And to do so, we're going to look at Titus chapter 3. Titus is in the New Testament. Uh, It's a letter written by Paul, and it's part of three uh, letters that we call the pastoral letters. First and Second Timothy and Titus. That's because Timothy and Titus were both pastors that Paul wrote to, and he gave them advice and encouragement on how to be pastors. Titus was, a, just like Timothy, a Greek man that Paul took under his wings and trained as a pastor, and it would go around with Paul and start churches. Paul left Titus on an island called Crete. Here's Crete. Here's Jerusalem over here. Uh, Here's Asia. We've got uh, Corinth right here. We've got Italy. And here's this island of Crete. And as you can see, this is Paul's fourth missionary journey. Uh, He's on his way to Rome, and he stops in three different locations at Crete. And he starts up these Christian churches. And he leaves Titus there to train elders, to train up the men of the congregations, to lead the congregation in Crete and, and have Christian churches. Titus is running into problems because the, the people of Crete are Greek. And what do they love? They love mythology. They love legends. They love Zeus. They love the Greek myths and, and the, the tall tale legends of these gods. And even though these Christian congregations have been started, uh, myths and legends are creeping into the, Corinthian, or the, the Crete churches. And it's causing division. And so Paul writes in chapter 3 how to deal with this. And so we're going to start Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. What's he talking about? He's talking about the truths found in God's Word. He's talking about uh, the doctrines found in God's Word. And he says, stress these things, Titus. Stress God's Word. Why? Because they are excellent and profitable for everyone. In other words, they're beneficial for everyone. So stress these things. What things does he have in mind? Well, he wants Titus to stress that by nature, people are born into this world as sinners. Born separated from God. Born without any chance of being united to God on their own. There's nothing they could do to get in good graces with God. There's nothing they could do, no matter how much work, no matter how much effort, no matter how morally good they are, nothing they could do to get in good graces with God. They are completely separated from Him, including the Greeks, including all these myths and legends that they're talking about. They don't help you at all. But he also wants Titus to stress that God is a kind and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. In fact, He's so abounding in love that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul says, Titus, stress the cross of Jesus. 
where he spread out his hands and let the nails go through them, where he laid down his feet so that the nails could go through them, stressed that through the shedding of his blood all the people's sins are forgiven. Stress the resurrection, Titus, and that Jesus rose from the dead and that he now sits at the right hand of God on his throne. Stress that from that right hand of God, he sent the Holy Spirit and he pours out his Holy Spirit on his people. Stress baptism, stress communion, stress these things. Why? Because they're excellent and profitable for everyone. And so your first point today, how does a Christian congregation stay together? Stress God's Word. Stress God's Word. Because God's Word is the only thing that is excellent and profitable for everyone. But there were people in the congregation who weren't just interested in God's Word. They were interested in other things. And Paul addresses that. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Paul says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies. I mentioned that the Greeks were interested a lot in Greek mythology and, and the legends, right? And, and so what people would do in the uh, Christian congregations in Crete is they would look at those genealogies found in the Bible where it says like, at, when Adam was 150 years old, he had Seth. When Seth was 100 and something years old, he had his son. Those genealogies, what they would do is they would look at them and say, well, we don't really know much about these people. So here's a myth or a legend about them. They'd say, okay, let's say Seth. We don't know much about him, but he's married to so-and-so. And they'd make up a wife for him. And then they'd make up all these legends and myths about what these guys would go out and do. And, and all these stories. And then guess what would happen? This person would have this story about Seth, and this person would have this story about Seth, and then they'd get in an argument as to who was right. These are legends and myths that they're arguing about. Paul says, stay away from them. Avoid these things. They're not profitable. And then what people would do is they'd get into arguments and quarrels about the law. Very similar to what we read in Matthew chapter 15, right? Paul's not talking about God's Ten Commandments. God's moral law is uh, across the board for all centuries, for all people. But he's talking about those ceremonial laws that the Pharisees like to, to uh, enforce. The ones that were human traditions, not God's commands. Paul says, avoid arguments about these things. They're useless. In fact, look what he calls them. Foolish controversies. So the New Testament's written in Greek. And I'll be honest with you, you might think that I'm just a huge nerd for this one, but I think it's pretty cool, so I'm going to tell you about it. The, the word for foolish in the Greek is the word moros. It's where we get our English word moron from. Paul's literally saying, stay away from these things because they're moronic. 
They are foolish. They are not excellent and profitable for anyone. And so your second point today is avoid arguments over opinions and traditions. How do we maintain unity? We avoid arguments over opinions and traditions. It's kind of like this. God's word is what we would consider a closed doctrine. And so a closed doctrine looks like this. We put in God's word, we put baptism, Lord's Supper, who Jesus is, creation, uh, end times. We put all that into our hand and we close it. And we say, we're going to hold on to it. We're going to hold on to it and we're not going to let it go because it's God's word. It's his opinion. His opinion rules. Opinions and traditions, we have an open hand because God hasn't told us anything. And so we're not going to hold on to anything like it's God's word. We're going to be open and flexible with our opinions and traditions. The problem is that some people weren't doing that. And Paul tells Titus how to not just avoid these controversies, but how to deal with someone who's causing them. Did you catch that? He says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Out of love for that person, out of love for the congregation, Paul says, when somebody is doing this, go and warn that person once. And then if they continue to do this, if they're continuing to cause division, warn them a second time. If they continue to do it a third time, have nothing to do with them. In other words, kick them out of the congregation. Avoid them just like you want to avoid the controversies. Seems a bit harsh? Why does Paul say this? Well, what can a divisive person do? Lead people away from Jesus, right? Somebody new comes to church and this, this person is promoting opinions and traditions. It can get that new person to Christianity confused as to what actually is God's Word. What does God really say? And, and for people who have been Christian long, a long time may know that it's just opinion and tradition, but it can cause bitterness. It can cause cliques and factions. And when there's cliques and factions, guess what happens? The devil rules. And he brings out selfishness in people. He brings out bitterness in people. And then the love of Jesus no longer is working through us all. Paul says, when somebody is doing this, force them out. Avoid them. Because the unity of the congregation is more important. So if you want to sum up the main point for today, here it is. It's your third point. Avoid arguments over opinions. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was your, Be united around God's Word, but flexible with opinions, and I could put in there, and traditions. So what's this look like for us? What's this look like for our church? Well, just like Titus, we want to stress God's Word, right? We want to stress God's opinions. When God has made something clear to us, we want to stress those things. 
But we want to be open with our opinions and traditions. So, what songs do we sing? God hasn't given us an opinion. He says to praise Him with songs, but He doesn't say what songs. Which version of the Lord's Prayer do we use? He hasn't told us which one. In fact, did you know that the Lord's Prayer is recorded twice by Jesus in the New Testament and both times they're different? They're not the same? What about communion? Do we have it before service or in service? Jesus just says, celebrate the Lord's Supper. What about screens and worship folders? Or a hymnal? Jesus hasn't told us anything about that. If we're going to do outreach, which Jesus tells us to do outreach, and reach out to the community, reach out to people to tell them about Jesus, what's that look like? He hasn't given his opinion. What about refreshments after church? What does that look like? Jesus has no opinion. What about social events that we do as a congregation? What should we do? What should we not do? Jesus hasn't given an opinion. As we move to the new building in a year, uh, church is going to look different. It just is. There's going to be more space. There's going to be uh, a bigger facility. I'm sure you're going to have opinions about, about what we do and what we don't do. Do we have ushers? Do we have greeters? Do we have an information table for when people come in for the first time that they can ask their questions? Do we have a gift to hand out to first-time guests? What is church going to look like? Again, Jesus has no opinion. And so what do we want to do? We want to stress God's Word, but be open and flexible with our opinion and tradition. Because God's okay with our opinions and traditions until, until we start to promote them and cause division in the congregation. That's when God says, that's it. Now I do have an opinion. And you're in the wrong. You are causing division in the church. And that's challenging for us, isn't it? Because there are some opinions that we have, there are some traditions that we love, that we love so much that we almost make it a closed-handed doctrine. Instead of it being over here where God doesn't say what, how we should feel, we sometimes want to put it over here and say, it has to be this way. Why? Because it's excellent and profitable for us, so it must be for everybody else. Because we want our opinions because we're so passionate about them. We want our traditions because we love them. We want what we want. And God says, no, no, no. That's fine. But if you're going to be divisive, now you're in the wrong. Now you're in the wrong. And so we want to be united around God's Word, but flexible with opinions. Because we're people from all different backgrounds. We're people with all different opinions. You heard at the beginning of, of the sermon here, right? Asking all those questions, you all had different opinions, all different preferences. We all have uh, come from different parts of the country. We've all had different upbringings. 
And yet, we are united. And so let's stress what unites us. And what is it that unites us? Paul actually tells us at the beginning of Titus chapter 3. Just a few verses before uh, verse 8, starting at verse 3, here's what Paul says. At one time, we too, notice he's including all of us, we too were foolish. Guess what that word is? Disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Stop right there. We are united in who we once were. And who were we once? We were over in this camp, foolish. We were disobedient to God. We were deceived by the devil. And we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Think about that. Enslaved. You were literally a slave to your passions and pleasures. The passions of bitterness. The passions of lust. The passions of envy. You were enslaved and ruled by them. And so was I. We lived in malice and envy. Being hated and hating one another. And guess who that includes? God. God, we were disobedient, we were foolish and deceived away from God, and we hated God. That's who we are by nature, because of sin. We are born into this world in this camp over here. We were created to be united to God, created to be walking in one with God. And what did we do? We turned and went away from God. And now we look back at Him and we said, We hate you, God. And no matter how much we tried, there's no way to get in good graces with Him. We are united in who we once were. This is who we were. But... When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, declared not guilty by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. We are united in who we once were, and we are united in what God has made us. And what has He made us? <clears throat> the, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, who's that? Jesus, right? When Jesus, the kindness and love of God appeared, He saved us. Pick, this is an incredible picture. What did we do? We are the one who broke the unity with God, right? And we walked away from Him. We were the, one that need to, we're the ones that need to make it up. And yet, what does God do? He comes after us. The innocent party chases after us. And He saved us. He saved us by sending His one and only Son, Jesus. And it's only because of His mercy that this happened. Not because of any righteous things we had done, but only because of His mercy. It was His mercy that brought Him from His heavenly throne here. It was His mercy that caused Him to stretch out His hands on the cross and let the nails go through and, and His feet. 
It was mercy that allowed His blood to shed on the cross. It was His mercy that won you forgiveness. It was mercy that He rose from the dead, conquering the grave for you. It was mercy that He's now sitting at the right hand of God where He's ruling all things for your benefit. And in His mercy, what did He do? He poured out on you the Holy Spirit. How? Through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Through your baptism, Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit on you. And what has He done? He's made you new. No longer are you a sinner in God's eyes. Now, you are united to Him in Jesus. United. Because your sins have been forgiven. The things that offended God and, and broke that relationship has been removed. You now are united to Him forever because your sins are forgiven. This is what we want to stress. Because here's the really good news, the really cool thing about the Gospel. This is true for you and it's true for your spouse. It's true for your kids. It's true for every single person sitting next to you. We all used to be those sinners and now we have all been united to God because of Jesus. Clinging to His grace, clinging to His mercy. This is what is good and excellent and profitable for the Christian congregation. This is what we want to stress. And so I want to leave you with this encouragement today. Let's stress this. Let's stress God's Word. Because this is excellent and profitable for everyone. And then, let's be open with our opinions and traditions. We can, we can uh, let people know our opinions, but let's be open and flexible with them. Because when we do, we will achieve what God wants. And that is for us to strive to pre, uh, preserve our unity. And then we will be united. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, what an incredible gift you have given us. Uh, we were once foolish and disobedient, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, and yet your kindness and your love appeared. Uh, and we've seen your glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father's side, full of grace and full of truth. And, and you came to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us. And in doing so, you've united us to you and to the Father and to the Holy Spirit forever. And not only are we united with you, Lord, but we are united with those around us because they've had the same experience that we've had. We've been brought to new life in you. We thank you for our baptism. We thank you for making us heirs of eternal life. As we live each day uh, with opinions and preferences and traditions that are, are good and beneficial, help us to strive to promote what is good and excellent and profitable for all people, and that is your word. Help us to be united around that, that Satan doesn't have a foothold, but that you, Jesus, rule our congregation. Be with us today and always. In your name we pray. Amen.